Do you have that uh, Bible passage open in front of you? And uh, we're continuing our walk uh, with uh, Jesus uh, through the eyes of Luke as he writes his gospel, his account of Jesus' life. I don't know whether you know the um, acronym FOMO, Fear of Missing Out. It's apparently uh, by psychologists, and to be honest, anybody uh, with half an eye on culture, is one of the marks of our modern age in a life that is absolutely saturated by social media that gives us carefully curated slices of the best bits of other people's lives. It's very hard not to suffer from FOMO, the fear of missing out, that fear that somebody somewhere is having a better time than I am. Somebody somewhere is doing something more interesting than I am. Somebody somewhere is having a more fun life, a more carefree life, a richer life, a better life than I am. There's plenty of evidence to say that we find it harder and harder and harder to say no to any invitation where we might possibly engage in something that might be good and fun and that other people might be enjoying and we don't want to miss out on. Of course, we know it in other contexts as well, that fear of missing out on that perfect networking opportunity at work, the fear of missing out on that thing that our child needs to get to or go to that will give them a better step forward in life, the fear of missing out. We're aware that it can be a heavy load to carry. It can weigh us down and paralyze us with fear. But of course, there are times when the fear of missing out is a good thing. I mean, who on earth, for example, would want to deliberately miss out on the birth of their child? Who would want to miss out on meeting a hero? Who would want to miss out on thanking someone who saved their life? Who would want to miss out on being able to learn from a true expert in their field? Who, to put it in slightly different terms, would be silly enough to miss out on cashing a cheque with their name on? Sometimes things are genuinely so good that we would be stark raving mad to miss out on them. Just occasionally, the fear of missing out, FOMO, is a good thing. What if you had the opportunity to sit at the feet of someone who put this universe together, someone who has known you since before you were born, somebody whose love for you knows no ends, no bounds, somebody who holds in themselves the wisdom and the power and the joy of the universe. Would you want to miss out on sitting at their feet, on spending time with them. Well, that was precisely, according to Luke, the circumstance that Martha and Mary faced. Here was Jesus in their home. And the question was, would they spend time with him? Now, Luke tees it up for us in such a way that we can't miss the significance of this moment. Uh, Luke Um, The end of Luke chapter 10, of course, comes at the end of nearly 10 whole chapters of, of wave upon wave upon wave of, look at this man Jesus. See who he is. Effectively, Luke's saying, wouldn't you want to spend time with this man? Wouldn't you want to be with Jesus? Wouldn't you want to sit at his feet? It's sort of worth just tracing where we've got to in Luke. 
If you've got it in front of you, you don't have to, but if you've got it in front of you, what we see as we are back to Luke chapter 1, what we think of as Christmas, you find that right at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, one of the things that we find is that Jesus is um, raised up as being the one who is coming from God. 1026, the page 1026 um, the, the angel Gabriel says to Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. He's God's king, says Gabriel, who's come. Over into chapter two of Luke, um, verse 33, verse 32, I mean, you find that Jesus is spoken of as the one who is going to bring light to the world. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Luke chapter 3. Um, Luke records um, John the Baptist as pointing at Jesus and saying, here is one far greater than I am. Here is one so great I'm not even worthy so much as to tie up his shoelaces. Luke chapter 4. We then read of Jesus um, casting out demons, healing the sick. Luke chapter 5, he's somebody who will actually touch the untouchables, the lepers, and make them clean. One who heals the paralytic. One who's even willing to go up to the great religious authorities of his day. Luke chapter 6, he begins to teach in such a way that all the big religious ideas of the day are simply turned on their head. And then Luke chapter 7, you remember the faith of the centurion. Here is this man, Jesus, who speaks and acts with an authority that even a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion, recognises, who works with an authority that even death itself has to recognise as he raises the widow's son. Then Luke chapter 8, this incredible teaching followed by him calming the storm and once again casting out evil. And then Luke chapter 9, the feeding of the 5,000, he can provide for anyone, anywhere, He's speaking of his death and resurrection and then this incredible moment on the mountaintop where he is revealed to be not simply a remarkable human being but God come in the flesh. It's a breathless run through, chapter upon chapter, story upon story, moment upon moment of saying to us all, look at this man Jesus. This is not simply somebody with some good advice. This is not simply somebody who's living a good life. This is not simply somebody that we might think of as a great example, a great moral teacher. Here is the very holder of the universe. Here is the maker of all things. Here is the king of all kings. Should I fear missing out on spending time with him? Well, of course. Who wouldn't want to spend time with Jesus? Who wouldn't want to sit at the feet of Jesus? Well, the answer to that sort of rhetorical question, is pretty clear. Martha. Mary, her sister, sits at Jesus' feet. Martha, not so much. She's um, herring around the house, in the kitchen, sorting stuff out. Everything for Martha is about looking after Jesus. So what is it? What is it that distracts her? What is it that makes her in danger of missing out on this moment? of being with Jesus. Well, two things at least make her miss out or in danger of missing out. The first is the most obvious one. She's simply busy. She is simply busy. Now, she had good reason to be busy, to be fair. 
Within that culture, far more than uh, the, the culture that most of us live in today, hospitality was not simply a good thing, a nice thing to be enjoyed. It was pretty much the whole deal when it came to how you and your household would be seen by others. There are still many cultures today that put hospitality that high up in our values. But for Martha and for Mary, they would have known that actually the way that you look after and and welcome an honoured guest was absolutely the epitome of who you were. Uh, You'll Many of you know that I'm married to a Northern Irisher, and um, my in-laws are from a generation in Northern Ireland for whom this basic culture of hospitality, and most especially hospitality to particularly important people, is incredibly important. And so they still have a house with a formal front room. Uh, you, you may have been in one, I'm seeing a few knowing smiles. The room that you never go into until the minister comes, okay? Bernie's got it straight in one. Um, I suspect south of the border, it's pretty much the same. Would you agree? Yeah, okay. So you've got a, you've got a room. It's, a, it's the nicest room in the house. It's a room that you dust every day and that you keep absolutely pristine. And you go and sit in there when somebody important comes. Just in case, thank you. Absolutely, just in case. The priest comes, the minister comes, and suddenly, that's where you sit. And, and more than that, actually, uh, woe betide you on every possible level if the minister or the priest comes and you don't have fresh cake and bread and a fresh pot of tea. I've actually been in the house. I'm not making fun here, by the way. It is simply the culture. I've been in the house where my mother-in-law has been absolutely just gutted because the minister came to call without calling first, and although she had the most extensive range of biscuits you've ever seen, and, and as far as I was concerned, there was enough you know, food to last a week, she didn't have fresh cake. Disaster of epic proportions. Because actually, hospitality matters that much. And it absolutely mattered that much for Martha. And she wasn't wrong, that was the culture. Jesus was an incredibly important, a proper VIP. And she wanted to make sure that he was properly welcomed. The busyness had a real point to it. The problem was that her busyness in terms of making sure Jesus felt welcome was going to mean that she missed out on sitting at his feet. The question is, does that simply mean we shouldn't be busy? Does it simply mean that we shouldn't do anything, that it should all be about contemplation? And quietness. Because, of course, for 2,000 years, Christians have read this story and rightly said, this has got something to teach us about how we relate to Jesus. This isn't simply what Mary and Martha did. The question is, what do you and I do on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday in our ordinary, everyday lives? Do we miss out on spending time with Jesus? But when you put it next to the previous bit of Luke, just on the same page, The story that Luke, in putting together his jigsaw puzzle of Jesus' life, deliberately puts just before Mary and Martha, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's very clear that for Jesus, it isn't a case of simply making a contrast between doing and being, acting and praying. Because in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest walks by on the other side of the road, doesn't act on his faith, and is probably lost in contemplation. But he gets it wrong. We're meant to act. We're meant to live out our faith. We're meant to be, in that right and positive sense of the word, activists. But busyness is never meant to be 
a reason, an excuse, a way in which we miss out on spending time with Jesus. And the moment it is, the moment we're missing out on the most precious thing of all. But there is a second reason. It's not just busyness. This is maybe a bit more subtle, but I suspect was even more important for Martha. The issue is that Mary, in terms of the culture in which they lived, should simply not have been sitting at Jesus' feet at all. Even if there was no work to be done, even if there was no tea to get ready, Mary shouldn't have been there for two reasons. The first is, within that culture, if you were a woman, you simply didn't sit at the feet of any rabbi ever, under any circumstances. Now, sitting at somebody's feet wasn't a place of sort of abdication and adoration. It was, a sit- it was a place of learning. If you were a disciple, you literally sat at the feet of your rabbi and you learned from them. If you were a woman, you didn't do that. It was as simple as that. It wasn't just that it was, you know, not so common. You just didn't do it. Men did. Women didn't. But Mary did. Martha would have been utterly horrified to see a woman, not just a woman, her sister, in serious danger of shaming the household by sitting so wantonly at the feet of this great rabbi. Jesus, of course, was singularly unconcerned. She wanted to learn from him. Well, then he would teach her, man or woman. But actually, she'd crossed not just a metaphorical line in the sand. She'd actually crossed an actual line by even being in that room at all. Because just like I described um, this idea of having a room in the house that was set aside, within that culture in those days, there also would have been a room set aside. And it was a room set aside for, yes, the privileged guests. It was your public room. And in that culture, some 2,000 years ago, that room was set aside for visitors And they all would have been male visitors. If women visited the house, they would be in the kitchen. They would never have been in this public room. It was a public space in which men met and talked. Not women. Mary shouldn't have been there at all. She shouldn't have been in that room, in that public space. She shouldn't have been sitting in that place at the feet of her rabbi. It wasn't the dumb thing. It wasn't the dumb thing. Now, Kenny reminded us that this past week we've had International Women's Day. And it reminds us in many ways of how far in this country, at least, that we've come. And we may be sitting here going, well, you know, we know in our culture that's not the, the case, that women aren't told you can't learn, that they're not told there are certain places you can't go. I suspect if we've been reading some of the things that have been going on this week and if we've been thinking at all about our world as a whole, we know that's not the case in every country, in every culture in the world. But even in our own culture, there are plenty of times when it feels to us simply as human beings, let alone as a woman or a man, that it doesn't feel like the dumb thing to spend time with Jesus. Even if... um, in this particular case, the issue of gender might not hold us back from spending time with Jesus. There are plenty of other things that do. Have a think about how you answer the question tomorrow. How was your weekend? Most Mondays, somebody somewhere might ask you, how was your weekend? What do you do? It's not really the done thing to include in your story of the weekend, oh, I went to church. 
sound a bit weird, a little bit odd, a bit strange. Church going isn't really the done thing, and if it is, it's something you keep to yourself. You don't certainly go around broadcasting it in general. What if somebody's talking to you about some part of life where you've prayed? Or there's been something you've read in the Bible that's made a difference. Or there's been some aspect of your faith that has shaped the way you're approaching something. And you, you would talk about it in normal circumstances. How many times at a gut level do we realise that it's just not the done thing to publicly or even privately with friends admit or talk about the fact that actually our shape shapes who we are? the decisions that we take, the values that we have, the way we bring up our kids, the decisions that we make in in the workplace, how we are in our home and our our community. It's just not the done thing. Religion is something to be done between consenting adults in private. It's not something to be talked about publicly. There are all sorts of ways and reasons why we end up missing out on spending time with Jesus. Jesus. We can miss out on spending time with Jesus simply because we're busy. Simply because it's actually took times easier to do the next thing on our list than to engage with Jesus in prayer. Picking up a Bible, reading it at the beginning of the day. Pausing, even before we go to sleep, to think about the day. Think about where we've seen God at work. Think about the times that we've missed him at work to say sorry for the ways in which we've let him down, to thank him for the ways in which he's helped us. The busyness of stuff, which is really important and good to do, so easily gets in the way. It means that we miss out. But we so easily miss out too, because it's simply not the done thing. You may not feel that you're living in a culture that is particularly negatively corrosive or toxic towards your faith. But in so many subtle ways, it's simply not the done thing. You end up feeling very odd, a bit eccentric at best, for being somebody of faith. Jesus says to us, don't miss out on spending time with me. Don't miss out on the one who's made you and loves you, in whom all the wisdom and joy of the universe resides. The one who wants to spend time with us, whatever our busyness, whatever the done thing might or might not be. Mary wasn't being lazy. She was being wise. Mary wasn't being wantonly dismissive of the cultural norms. She simply knew what was most important. Here was Jesus. She was going to spend time with him. May that be true for us, too. Each day, of our lives. In the midst of all the stuff we do have to do, in the midst of a culture that at times does look upon us as eccentric, odd examples of humanity. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who wants to spend time with us. We're going to pause, we're going to pray, and then we're going to respond with some songs of worship together. Let's uh, take a moment just to Maybe put ourselves in that place with Mary and Martha. To think about the busyness that fills our lives, if that's how we feel. 
to recognise the value and the, the goodness of much of that busyness, and yet to acknowledge before Jesus how at times it holds us back, prevents us from spending time with him. Maybe too, as we visualise the scene, we want to rejoice that this is the God who in Jesus treats each person as special. Doesn't have a hierarchy with men at the top and women at the bottom. Or people of a particular race or a particular class or a particular background somehow further up the pecking order. But wants to spend time with each person. Let's acknowledge before him those times when simply the done thing, the fear of what others will think of us, holds us back from speaking of our faith and enjoying time with him. Jesus, we pray that every day of our lives, as we head into Monday and as we walk into the days that are to come, you would help us not to miss out on time with you, learning from you and being shaped by you. Go on filling us afresh, we pray, with your very presence and help us to enjoy your company through each day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.